when God called me into the ministry, I was in my late 20s. And the Holy Spirit called me out of the world. But what he called me to do was something extraordinary, something I never thought I would be doing. But let me tell you something. There's a preparation season for everything under the sun. Say preparation. preparation. So as he began to prepare me, it took a number of years to get me to where I am today. Because say preparation. preparation. You see, what happened was I was in ministry had just been licensed, and I was sitting in the back of a church where I was serving. I was way in the back corner. You know how we do when we're trying to hide from God? I was sitting way in the back. And we had a guest speaker come up, and this guy was um, from Africa. And he calls me up, and he says, woman of God, come up here. And I was like, oh, boy. (laughs) Y'all know how we do. So I come up to the front, and he says, I see you going to Africa. And I was saying to myself, that ain't happening. I have never been across the Atlantic Ocean, (laughs) nor on a plane. But what happened 20-some years later changed my life. You see, at that time, I was broken. And I was going through something so devastating because I had this war going on in my home. My ex-husband at the time was not a saved man. We had this battle going on. And he says, choose today who you're going to serve. And I said, I chose Jesus Christ. And he says, you're going to have to leave. And I said, not a problem. But the Lord began to prepare my heart. And I was so hurt because this was someone that I thought was the love of my life. I thought that, but we were also in an abusive marriage. Let us pray. Oh, heavenly and most gracious Father, as we come before you today, we acknowledge, Lord, that you are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and the end. And there is nothing hidden under the sun from you. So, Father, in this place that we are at today, in our hearts. We say, welcome, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Let our lives forever be changed by the touching of your word today, God. Lord God, let us not leave here the same as we came. I decrease that you may increase, that you may speak freely in Jesus' name. Can the church say amen? Amen. 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 I am going to take you someplace today because it causes us, what God does is he causes us to make a change, but he penetrates us with his word. Amen. Amen. And his word causes us to do something out of the ordinary because he wants to get us out of our comfort zone and what we consider to be our safe place. I had a lot of safe places, y'all. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I was comfortable in my own being and in my own setting. But God came in and he challenged me. And in that very moment, a time when he was challenging me to get outside of my comfort zone, outside of this marriage that I had been praying for him to deliver me from. And then when he did it, I wasn't happy. Because I was like, what do you mean? I want you to save him. 
And he says, I want you to go and do what I've called you to do. Will you trust me? Will you trust me with yourself and with your children? Can you trust me? And I said, yes, Lord, I trust you. And he began to move me out of the state of brokenness. I was downhearted, downtrodden, brokenhearted. That is what you're about to see come through your doors. The downtrodden and the brokenhearted. The question is, are you ready to receive? Are you ready to walk that journey with them? Because it's going to take someone to walk alongside that broken heart, to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in them and to show him their love. The question I have for you today is how far are you willing to go? So say, neighbor, neighbor. look at them. Neighbor, neighbor. How, far how far are you willing to go? And I want to take this with you today through the second, uh, second Kings um, chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. If you can go there with me, that would be great. Second Kings chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. And it says this, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck it with the water, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a very difficult thing, Elijah said, if, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. Again, how far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go? You see, in order to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's going to require just a little bit of you. No. It is going to require everything of you. Because God not only wants you to just show up today, he wants your heart, he wants your mind, he wants to use your body, he wants your soul, he wants your spirit. So I was very puzzled about this passage of scripture when I came across it, and, and I saw, I was like, 50 prophets were standing there, standing there. But early on, if you read the previous passages, it said there were a few that ran to Elisha and told him that Elijah was about to be taken up. So that tells me that they knew something was about to take place in, with Elijah. Amen? But the question becomes, why were they just standing there? Here's what I think. And this is something that happens even in our realm today, in our world today. We have a lot of people that are called bystanders. And so what bystanders is, I have to break this down. 
because I got stuck on that pastor. I was like, what is with those 50? Why are they just standing there? Because when the anointing hit, don't you want to go where the anointing is? But they stood back and they watched. A bystander is a person who is present at an event or an incident, but they do not take part. Okay, so some of y'all didn't get that. Okay, so anyway, let me explain it to you. Mr. Bolton and I were just coming back. He's my new husband, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, love. <laughs> we were just coming back um, from the store one day. We were running some errands, and we were making this curve up towards the hill where we have to take to get to our condo. And so all of a sudden, Mr. Bolton yells out, something bad has just happened. And I can't see because I'm on the passenger side and there are trees along the way. And he says, something bad has just <coughs> happened. And I said, what are you talking about? He says, I think there was an accident. So all of a sudden, as we make the turn, sure enough, there was this three-wheeler motorcycle. This guy that was on the motorcycle flips over because he was hit by a truck from behind. He flips over, he lands on his back and hits his head on the concrete. He was wearing a helmet. And all of a sudden, all these people came out, and they were standing around him, but no one was helping. So as we move over and we could see what's trying to take place, he, uh, Mr. Bolton immediately stops the car, and I jump out and run across the street, and I run to the guy, and I was like, do you know Jesus Christ? <laughs> First I said, are you okay? <laughs> and he said, yes. I said, do you know Jesus Christ? He said, yes. And I said, all right. So I hold his hand, and I begin to pray with him. And the blood was coming out of his head. But the bystanders were still there looking on. And one of the guys says, he's surely going to die. He's surely going to die. And I said, hush your mouth. Step away. Because he is not going to die. He is going to live. And I began to speak into this man's life. Come to find out, he actually had a friend that attended our church at New City. And the guy begins to tell him, he said, God sent an angel that day because I knew for sure I was about to die. Bystander, neighbor, who are you? Who are you? Here's a bystander. Here's what it tells us they are. A bystander is an onlooker, a passerbyer, a non-participant an observer, a spectator, an eyewitness, a witness, and then I say a look, looker honor, <laughs> someone who looks on, a sightseer, a watcher, a viewer, a rubberneck. <laughs> That's what they say. A beholder. Who are you? The effects of a bystander are so powerful that we don't even understand the effects that they have on the crowd around us. So can I break that down? Their behavior can cause yet other bystanders to conclude that no action is required, so they do nothing. So 50 prophets are standing there in the middle of what is about to be the most powerful anointing pass-off in history. 
and yet they do nothing. Watching. The other part that it talks about is a bystander. The effects of it is called apathy. Here are the causes of a bystander apathy. Say she's taking us somewhere. I told you I'm used to preaching in Africa, so you got to (laughs) respond. So number one, here are three psychological factors that are thought to facilitate a bystander apathy. One, it's the feeling of having less responsibility. When more bystanders are present, they feel like they're depleted and they don't need to do anything at all. They have no responsibility in the matter, so they do nothing. It's called diffusion of responsibility. The another one, the second one is this, the fear of unfavorable public judgment when helping. We are so concerned about what other people are going to think about us. I'm trying to retain myself. What other people are going to think about us, so we do nothing out of fear. It's called evaluation apprehension. Evaluation apprehension. Here's the third thing that happens. Individuals are less likely to offer help to a victim in presence of other people Because the belief is this, that no one else is helping, so why should I? It's called social psychological theory. I thought this was really interesting (coughs) because when you read further along in the book of Kings, 2 Kings, you'll find that Elijah had a relationship with these prophets. He had been there schooling them. They have walked with him. They have seen the fiery chariot. They have witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And then it took me back to Jesus. When he was standing before the crowd, they had just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000 the disciples had, right? And then all of a sudden, they come back the next day. But they're only coming back because they wanted the food for their bodies, not the spiritual food for their souls. And all of a sudden, the numbers depleted. Jesus said, John 6, 53 through 66, can you eat the flesh of the Son of Man? You guys remember that? Can you drink his blood? He says, if you have no life in you, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Amen. So as he's telling them this, they became hard teaching that they could not understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. So what did they do? They left. Say bystanders. Who are you? God is calling us all to go deeper in our relationship, in our walk with him. And yes, I got to tell you, it's going to cost you everything. But I'm so glad he called me out that day, Pastor, because I was miserable. I was hurting and I was broken. But when he called me out, it's because he had a plan and a path for me to take. Currently, right now, we have 
we just established, we established a ministry about six years ago called Empowered to Restore. The Holy Spirit showed up in my bedroom with a white cloud. That's how he speaks to me. How he speaks to you is with you and God, okay? I'm telling you how he speaks to me. So my entire bedroom filled up with this white cloud. And in the cloud, there was this hand that was coming out towards my face, just like that. And then in the palm of the hand started to grow a tree. And as the tree began to grow, it sprouted out many branches. And then there are leaves that came forth, and they were golden. And then it just illuminated from behind. And he says, daughter, I'm giving you empowered ministries. You will work with existing ministries to rebuild the communities that they serve. And I didn't understand what he meant by that, but then I said, okay, how are we going to do this? And he says, you will not build one church. I said, I'm not going to build a church. You will not build one church. But land will be given to you. Now watch this. I hang up the phone and I was puzzled because I had been working in the Liberian community for many, many years, serving alongside of them in Des Moines, Iowa. And the Holy Spirit told me that I had just taken my first trip to Africa, Liberia. And when my foot hit the ground, he said, daughter, welcome home. I have work for you to do. And the tears began to pour down out of my eyes, and I had no idea what I was about to enter into, but I knew from that day my life was never going to be the same. And then they picked us up in this broken-down Jeep. You guys know what I'm talking about, my brothers from Africa. (laughs) And they picked us up in this broken-down Jeep, and we're driving through the country, and all of a sudden I see cars along the side from the war that were just blown up and destroyed from the war, the after effects of the war was devastating in this country. They, ha- they used to be one of the most premier countries in Africa, and now they are one of the most poor. A 14-year war destroyed them. And what he told me was that, he said, daughter, tell me what do you see? I said, I see a place that was once beautiful, completely destroyed. He says, you've answered correctly. Now I'm about to show you what I'm about to do. And at that very moment, I saw what was once destroyed, buildings, a land that was completely dry. Greenery started to surface up. Buildings started to reform. And I saw people walking into the buildings. And he says, I am about to restore my Liberia. Tell my daughter Liberia, I have not forsaken her, nor have I abandoned her. But I am with her, and I am going to do a new thing in this country. But I am going to restore her. And that became the message that I went and I preached every year that I was there. I couldn't change the message. Even when I tried, he wouldn't let me. So I'm telling you, God wants to do something so amazing in your lives, and he wants to restore you, but it's going to cost you everything that you have. In your brokenness, he's going to cause you to do something you've never done before. He's going to shake you up. He's going to shake up the very ground and foundation that you've been established on because you have been established on some false precepts and principles, and he wants to show you who he has created and made you to be. But in order for him to do that, he has to come along and shake up your very foundation so as I was going through this country and I come back home and I tell my husband what had happened we built our first school but it wasn't easy because I was trying to have somebody else build it and the Lord says you're gonna build it sell your house 
I said, sell my house. <laughs> sell my $400,000 house. Sell your house. I said, well, you got to touch my husband's heart. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him, I said, we got to build the school. And he says, okay. He says, okay. We sold our home. We built our first school. That day that the Lord gave me that vision, active vision had taken place. I received a call from a pastor in Swedru, Liberia. And he said, Pastor Tracy, it just came out of prayer, and the Holy Spirit told me, you are about to start a ministry. We're your first church. I said, what? <laughs> and he hangs up the phone. <laughs> I'm just standing there in the bathroom trying to get ready for because I'm like, what just happened? What did I just see? It rings again. It's the pastor that we just built the school for. And he said, Pastor Tracy, I just came out of prayer, and the Holy Spirit woke me and told me that you are about to start a ministry called Empowered Something, and I want you to know we're your first church. I said, no, you're the second one. <laughs> <laughs> I went to tell my husband what happened. He says, well, we're, we're, we're doing what? <laughs> he said, all right. From that time on, the ministry grew, and it grew, and it grew. We have over a 1,000 churches. We have four schools. Amen. And this past year, we just put in five sewing centers to empower the communities. <laughs> then the Holy Spirit says, now you need to build a hospital. I said, ha, 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 what? A sewing center, oh yes, thank you. A sewing center is uh, a place where we, first of all, let me tell you something. We have our churches, and many of our church buildings were sitting empty, even in Africa. They sit empty. They break in them. People break in, you know, the bandits come, they break in, they steal your equipment. I said, and so the pastors call us. They said, can you please replenish our equipment? I said, no. He said, well, why not? I said, because you need to open your doors. <laughs> Our job is to make sure we are open for the community. I said, so what is the need in the community? That became our first challenge to our pastors in uh, Pakistan. We have a team in Pakistan as well. And he says, I'm going to talk to the women. And he comes back and he says, they want a sewing center because the women here are marginalized. And they have to work for the Muslims. And they pay them very little wages. And they cannot sustain themselves nor their families. So many of them give up their children. And I said, let's put in a sewing center. It took off. So with that, we have um, we put in 10 sewing machines inside of a church building so we don't have to pay rent. We put it in the church building, open it up to the community. We teach them Bible studies, and they have devotions every morning with the women. By doing that, we're teaching these women a trade now they'll be able to go out and get a job to sustain themselves and their children. That's what a sewing center is. Our goal this year is to put in 20. The other part is with these schools that we have now, we're opening, we just opened up two computer labs. Someone from our ministry team here in, the, in Des Moines donated 30 laptops. So we took some over to Ghana. They said, they're going to charge you. I said, no, they're not. <laughs> I didn't pay a dime. <laughs> 
And so we were able to start two computer labs for the community. God wants us to open our doors for the community because that's the only way we can reach him. We need to go out, but we need to have our doors open. As long as we're closed, we'll never reach them. As long as we stay in our four walls, we'll never reach them. We'll never be able to touch their hearts. So it's time for us to get out of our four walls and get into the community and open up the walls of the church. Amen. Amen. So from there on, we also put in um, our vision that he gave it us is to build this hospital. I said, how are we going to build a hospital? I do have doctors on the board, and they're like, oh, we're going to do what? So we have to build a hospital, and not just an African hospital. You see, in America, we do things different when we go overseas. We build, and we think it's just, that's just good enough for them. We have to change that mindset. We're going to build a stand-of-the-art uh, stand hospital, something that we will be proud of here that we're going to plant there, and we're going to teach them what excellence needs to look like, that they deserve this. And we also partner with the teams, the medical teams, the medical doctors, and the School of Medicine in Ghana that's going to work alongside of us because Ghana is where most Liberian for, uh, poor countries go for their, um, for their care because of the standard of art treatment that they can get there. So we're building a hospital. Not just any hospital. It's going to cost $10 million. Now, y'all, I ain't got $10 million but I know who does. Amen. Amen. So 2 Kings 2.7 tells us, 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance. Some distance. That's really interesting. Because they were far away enough to see what was happening, close enough to hear what was happening, and still far enough to do nothing. Did you get me? Far enough to see what was happening or to hear what was, hear, see what was happening, close enough to hear what was happening, and yet they did nothing. Well, it comes down to this. They didn't want to go that far, and they didn't want to get that close. Because sometimes we put limits on ourselves. And we identify when God calls us to do something, the first thing we do is we look at our ability. Well, guess what? He doesn't want to use your ability. He just wants to use your availability. And when you're available, he imparts his ability inside of you to do what he has called you to do. Can I get an amen? amen. He wants to use who you are, a willing vessel to just rise up and say, yes, Lord, I'll go. Yes, Lord, I'll follow. But the question becomes, how far will you let him take you? There are three key areas that will bring a life surrender together. A life surrender is a person that has truly surrendered their lives. And there's a, there are three components your head, your heart, and your hands. I call it the three T's. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. 
where your time is, he's talking about your head. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? He said, let me inherit the double portion. Isn't that interesting when people come into you for ministry? The first thing they want to do is they want the anointing. But you can't do anything without the anointing. But sometimes if you're not careful, you'll rise, try to rise yourself up when you're not ready. you got to go through the preparation process. Because it's the preparation process that brings you into this closeness with Jesus. And Elijah did that. Elisha did that. He, he attached himself to Elijah so that wherever he went, he was there with him. He walked with him. He talked with him. He supped with him. And he was there every step of the way serving him faithfully until the time came. It says 10 years later. <laughs> 10 years. Not one. Not two, not three. It was 10 years later. How long did it take me to get to Africa after that African preacher said, you're going to Africa? 20 years later. Preparation. God prepares us and he equips us because, see, there are things inside of us that have to be burned out. Because where he's about to take you, you can't take jealousy, envy, and strife with you. It has to be left off to the side. He has to burn some things out of you. That means you got to go through some trials and storms. And as you're going through those trials and storms, guess what? We complain about them. None of us like to be in the fiery pit when we're going through those trials. We don't like to be molded and shaped. But what happens as he's molding and he's shaping us, he's burning those things out of us that are not of him. Because as he starts to elevate you, there are things that you have to like let go of. Because when you get to the top, and to surely show who you really are. He has to shed it so it doesn't break you when you get there. There's something about the anointing. And it was so amazing. When you read this passage of Scripture, you can skip it. But it says that Elijah responded, this is a hard request. Now, in Hebrew, hard means severe. It means uh, it ain't easy. But what he was really translating, when you translate it, he's saying, what you're asking from me is going to require something from you. And it's not going to be easy for you. You're going to go through something. You're going to go through some trials. You're going to go through some financial hardship. Because God wants all of you. He's going to test you in areas that you never even thought you'd be tested in. I love my children. How many, lo- how many moms and dads here love our children, right? But they get to a point in life where you got to turn them over to the Lord. <laughs> I plan. You got to turn them over. I had a knucklehead son. I have a knuckleheaded son. And he was so stubborn. He was stubborn coming out of the womb. The doctor had to turn my stomach three times. That is the most painful thing ever. That's when I knew this boy was going to cause me a lot of strife. 
and he did. But I prayed for him. I prayed on my knees, praying, crying out to God. And the Lord says, how long are you going to cry for him? I said, oh, that's my son, that's my firstborn. He said, turn him over. I released him. It was the most amazing feeling. I said, I'm releasing you to Jesus. And he said, I'm still not going to talk to you. I said, I'm releasing you to the Lord. And as I released him, I would call him every week and say, Marcus, mom loves you. And he said, eventually he called me back and said, I don't want to hear that. I said, oh, you're getting my messages. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we're going to go through some trials. We're going to go through some storms. But God wants us to release him. That boy today is saved. He's saved, y'all. Loves the Lord. Loves his mama. (laughs) And he comes, they come back. But we got to release them. What are you holding on to that's really in your way of doing and reaching all that God has for you? What is it you're holding on to? Is it your children? Is it your family? Is it your husband? Is it your finances? Is it your job? What is it? Release it. Amen? God wants your heart, your soul, and your mind. Because when we love him, I mean truly love him. I wore this today, pink, because it's, you know, Valentine's Day. But when we truly love the Lord with our heart, our mind, and our soul, you take on his heart. He gives you his heart of compassion. He gives you his eyes. And therefore, we can go and love our neighbors. But you can't do one without the other. And I believe that's what God wants us to do today as he stirs us up in his word. And he's saying, how far are you willing to go? Because I got a whole world out there for you. We have teams around the globe that I never thought I would ever be doing something like this. We have teams in Africa, Ghana, Liberia, Uganda, Kenya. We have a team in Liberia, I'm sorry, uh, um, India. I had a pat, the pastor called me from Pakistan. I said, my focus is on Africa. He said, well, even us Pakistanians need your help. It took me a month. I had to pray about it. God says, why wouldn't you? He opened my heart. Now we have a team of 500 pastors in Pakistan. They need us, y'all. The world needs you. Whatever God is putting in your heart to do, he needs you. And he needs you to rise up with just a response and say, yes, Lord, I'll go all the way. There's a passage of scripture that says some went some the 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Here's what I believe with that. And you can, God was saying, some of you only go this far. Can I get three volunteers really quick, please? Three, 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 come on up. Three. Thanks, Simone. Some people will only go, take a step, this far, 30%. Take two steps. Some will go 60%. I want you to go all the way to the chair. Some will go 100%. Why? What's the difference? Because when you get to one place, one place in your flight and in your journey, 
and things get hard, you're like, that's all I can do. You need to sit down. That's as far as you're going to go in your experience with the Lord. Another one say, I can, I'm only going to go. I'm, I'm reached this part, Lord. I'm at my breaking point. He stops. This is as far as he's going to go with God. He's like, this is it. This is my limit. I'll be a church goer. I'll be a church worker. But I know you're calling me to go forward in the ministry to be pastor. I'm not ready for that. Go sit down. <laughs> That's as far as he's going to allow the Lord to take him. This one, no, she has a call to be a missionary. No, God's putting something deep into her heart. He's calling her. He's preparing her. He's equipping her. She does the work, and she knows it's hard, and she knows it's requiring her financial finances, and she doesn't have any more money to give, but she gives what she has. Come back. And then as she's going through this journey, it gets tough. Ministry is tough, y'all. It's tough. But it's so rewarding. Take a step. God's with her every step of the way. He says, daughter, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I got work for you to do. Take another step. I know things are getting hard, but don't forget I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor would I forsake you. I got you. I I have a path already prepared for you. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Take a step. And next thing you know, she's walking with God. Every trial that she has been through, every storm of life, even her family has forsaken her. What happened to her friends? They're gone. But God says, take a step. I'm with you every step of the way. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Let's keep going. And next thing you know, as he's walking her through this journey, she's shedding off some things that she has that has held her back from her past, and she's continuing to walk the, tr- walk the path. Walk the path. Walk the path. But God is with her every step of the way and I want you to know he's with you every step of the way so whatever he is calling you to do church it is time for you to rise up and take on that challenge and put on that full armor because he is with you yes things are going to get tough but it's okay nothing worth fighting for ever came easy amen so he says I got you who are you going to follow, do you trust me? And when your response is yes, he says, now I can take you as far as I want to go. How far you want to go? I don't know about you, but I want to go all the way. I'm not stopping. I hope you're not. Please stand to your feet. Bystanders. Bystanders are those, as you recall, look honors, looker honors, witnesses. There are plenty of witnesses to see Jesus die on the cross. But it's interesting that even the 12 disciples. There are only three that he was the closest to. And out of all the three, out of the three, there was one who had his heart. Where's your heart today? When he calls you to go deep, and he will, that will tell you where your heart is. When he tells you to give deeper, 
than you've given. That will tell you what you really treasure. When he tells you to give up your time, and you say, well, I got a football game I got to go to. That tells you who has your head, where your mind is, where your heart is. God wants all of you, church, every part of you. Because once he transforms you, you'll never be the same. If I could take you back to that little 29-year-old girl who was timid, didn't really have a backbone. I was submissive to a default. <laughs> you can't be submissive to a default. I was a doormat. But then God stepped in. He stepped in. And he showed me who I was in him. Gave me a new identity in him. Showed me who he had created me to be. And then he says, I have work for you to do. I never once said no. I always said yes. Because I remember where he brought me from. And when you remember where he has taken you from, all you can do is say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Every step of the way. I will go as far as you will have me to go. And I will do whatever you will have me to do. My finances, my money is not mine. It's his. My home is not mine. It's his. My vehicle it's not mine. It's his. Everything belongs to the Lord. That's what that means. We belong to him when we give our heart freely. Oh, he replenishes you with something so great. He's given me such an amazing husband that loves him. And we do ministry together. So when I say I have to give our last to send over to Africa to feed some children in our school or to pay their tuition, he just says, well, you do what you have to do. We'll make it. We trust God in everything. And we'll take you higher to a place you never even thought you would be. That's what God's love is. He loves you so much, but he wants to take you higher than where you are. Higher. Higher than the ministry is today. He wants to take you higher. How far are you willing to go? Every eye closed in this place.
Heavenly Father, you're so amazing. Yes, Lord. You know what we need when we need it. You know when we need a touch from you, when we need a word from you, and when you need to be challenged, you challenge. Father, touch every heart that they would adhere to your call, answering it with a resounding yes, that we will no longer be passerbyers, bystanders, looking on and just coming in and soaking up the word and having no action when we leave. But our hearts will be changed, God, that you will give us your heart of compassion, your heart of love for this community, for this city, for this town, yes, for this state, yes, for this country, for this world, God, that we will become world changers and not just settle in our pews and in our seats with what happens Sunday after Sunday and no change in our hearts, God. You're calling us to go deeper. And let us all, with a resounding yes, answer to that call, answer to that quest. Because everyone that's here today, God, you're speaking to our hearts in some area whether it be with our time, our talent, or our treasure. Speak. And let our answer be yes, Lord. We're all that you are, all that you need. Everything that we are, God, we give it unto you. We're your vessels. We're your feet. We're your hands. We're your eyes. Use us, God, to be world changers. No longer pew sitters, passerbyers, looker honors, witnesses, but we will be participants of your word. Have your way. And thank you, Holy Spirit for the change that you're bringing to this community and to this body. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.